Hey everyone, welcome back to Facially Conscious with myself, Trina Renee, esthetician, Dr. Vicki Rappaport, dermatologist, Rebecca Gadbury, the cosmetic ingredient guru, and our fabulous, overly educated consumer, Julie Falls. We are gathered here together with you to talk about this crazy world of aesthetics. It's confusing out there in this big, wide world. That's why we're here to help explain it to you all, subject by subject. We will be your go-to girls, and from our perspective, without giving medical advice, we will keep things facially conscious. Let's get started. Good afternoon, ladies. How are you doing today? Very well. I'm doing well, and I'm so excited for our guest this morning. Oh, oh. I'm so excited as well. I've been dying for this moment for 20 years. Me too. And I've, I've known our guest. Let me see. She and I have known each other since 1991, what? I think. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So is... you said good afternoon, and she said good morning. So. I'll say good evening. <laughs> good evening. No matter what time of day. Yeah, is, everybody's in a different podcast. time zone. Yeah. That's right. And they listen to it at different times, so it That's right. anytime. So good day. Oh. <laughs> so who is our next guest? Rebecca, would you like to introduce Jan? Oh, well, I just know her as Jan, but Jan Marini. <laughs> And Jan Marini. Ever so famous Jan Marini. Oh, she's one of the pioneers in the professional skincare industry. She has a fabulous line of products, and I think some of you even use them. Mm -hmm. We were talking about it before, Trina and Julie. I mean, I just want to say, when I got into the industry in 2004, um, I was working and you know, realized that I had to have a good, you know, cosmetic line, but mm -hmm. a good clinical line as well. And so it took me a long time to find um, one <laughs> that I believed in. And Jan won. I mean, she was by far the best line on the market. And she has been, I feel like, ever since. Yes. And I've never gone away from it. And I even worked in dermatology with Dr. Vicki for eight years. And even through all of that and all the reps who would come in and show me lines, I always did the half face test. So I feel like, well, Jan's on one side. I'll try yours on the other. And I would try like an, a product or a line that was saying that they were better or whatever. Nobody ever beat. And still to this day, I believe that's true. And I always say that um, Jan's chemists come from another planet. <laughs> that the people that work with her, are, are they definitely create things that the industry follow. Mm -hmm. You know, so Jan, you start trends um, and you find ingredients through I don't know how uh, that you bring <laughs> to the market and then everybody jumps on board. So um, I, I think you're an amazing speaker and you speak to people in the medical industry and the spa industry and you are one of the the best speakers I've ever heard. And every time you used to speak, I used to go to all of your live classes, which you don't do anymore. I'm sad. But um, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm, you just made my head swell up. 
That's so kind of you. Thank you very much. And deservedly so, I might say. <laughs> Don't retire ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not planning to. Oh, good. Because nobody could ever replace you. Jen, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this field? And Well, I have been a product researcher for well over 40 years, probably more like almost going on 50 years. Back in the early days, my expertise was really in the area of ingredients. And you know, when people pick up a skincare product and they look at that ingredient listing and it's complex and it's mysterious. And how do you know if something is really going to help your acne or make it worse or have an effect on your fine lines and wrinkles, your discoloration, your rosation. So I did a lot of lecturing to physicians, medical professionals and skincare professionals. And um, I also did a lot of radio and television at one point because it lends itself really well to talk shows and people love to hear about ingredients and what works and what doesn't work. Now, as time went on, I began to develop associations with physicians and researchers literally all over the world. And I really started to focus more on research and development and uncovering and identifying breakthrough technologies. Now, I'm going to qualify the term breakthrough because anytime somebody comes to market, isn't it always a breakthrough? You know, it's the, the latest and the greatest. And I'm talking about things really that weren't in the marketplace. And as an example, you mentioned glycolic acid, but I was an early glycolic acid pioneer. This was back in the early to mid 80s and it didn't exist commercially. Mm -hmm. You couldn't walk into a department store or drugstore and get glycolic acid, but you could get it for cleaning stains off your driveway and grease out of car engines. <laughs> and it was around 1989 going into 1990 that I financed and brought to market two product lines. You guys will remember, but this is going back a long time. MD Formulations and MD Forte. Mm -hmm. And it was unique for several reasons. One, it was the first real glycolic acid product line, but then I made a decision I was going to market it through physician offices. Now, remember back then, that was unheard of. Yeah. No one dispensed product out of their office. And I have to tell you, this is actually my fourth business. And that was the most challenging time I've ever had in a career because physicians were incensed that somebody would ask them to sell, as they said, cosmetics out of their office. Of course, <laughs> my the how things have changed. Exactly. And and then it was unique for another reason, because it was the first time that a major pharmaceutical firm purchased a company in what we call the professional market. That was 1994. And so literally July 1st, 1994, and that was Allergan that purchased us. And so literally July 1st, 1994, took down the MD formulation sign, put up the Jamarini skin research sign, and here we are today. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either. And I know that all the pharmaceutical companies now own a line of skincare because they think it is so important to have a, that branch of their business. Yes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the laser companies as well. And, it, you know, it is complimentary because it's kind of like you're selling razors, but what we really were you really have revenue is the razor blades. Mm -hmm. So it, um, and it, you know, it's not maybe quite as prolific as it once was. These things kind of go up and down, but actually uh, L'Oreal just purchased Skin Better Science. Right. Mm. So, you know, there's still activity going on in the marketplace. Yeah. And so um, we wanted to talk to you about a couple of trending myths and then also, um, 
a couple myths that have been around a long time, like will, you know, glycolic acid and AHAs, retinoids um, thin your skin? And um, and can you use them on rosacea? But there's another couple trending things happening right now that I wanted to touch on first. So could you tell us about what you were talking about earlier? <laughs> okay. So huge. And, you know, I'll tell you where a lot of these trends come from. And it's not that we haven't had a lot of myths for years and years and years. It's just as with social media and TikTok and all the various platforms, it goes viral immediately. Right. And it's so much, you know, pseudoscience that people adopt. So um, one of them is skin cycling. And that actually was kind of popularized by a Dr. Whitney Bow. Now, it's not really a myth. Mm-hmm. And so some of these things that we kind of think of as myths kind of can go in either direction. There's, there's truth to it, but you just have to sort of evaluate it. And um, the idea with skin cycling is that maybe you're, you're working with your skin aggressively. Maybe you, you're using a, a prescription retinoid and various other kinds of products. And so there's a four-day cycle where you might use, let's say, your benzoyl peroxide one night, and then you might use your retinoid one night, you might use your glycolic one night, et cetera, et cetera. And during the day, you don't use any actives. You do a mild cleanser and moisturizer sunscreen. And that then gives your skin a chance to so-called rest. Now, certainly, if you're starting off on a prescription retinoid, which we know requires acclimation, then you probably want to cycle with it because you want to get to the point where you can use it every night. But the fact is, is that for a lot of different skin conditions, you have to treat these skin conditions consistently every single day. Mm -hmm. And if you miss one day, you're going to have a setback. Acne is a good example because what you're doing is you're, among other things, you're addressing C. acne bacteria And we can't kill it permanently. We have to kill it every day. It's called bacteria static as opposed to bactericidal. And if you miss a day, the colonies are back again. So that's just one example. So it's really about finding a program that doesn't cause a lot of inflammation or flaking and peeling, a program that provides the specific solutions to your skin concerns, and then being able to use it consistently. And I'm, right. I'm a good example of that because I'm a two-time Accutane failure. I use benzoyl peroxide every single night. Now I use a benzoyl peroxide that doesn't dry, but I use retinoids and I use benzoyl peroxide and I use acids I, every single day. My skin wow. is not dry. It's not <laughs> peeling. It's well, not inflamed. Can I, I, also, I want to ask you because when a while back you did a live Instagram interview with Rachel Moyer. And I, I remember calling your assistant, emailing your assistant, asking if I could have a consultation with you because I had more questions, but it was so informative. Um, you were talking about the difference between prescription retinoids and uh, over the, over-the-counter products retinol. like, uh, uh-huh. yeah, retinol. like your Luminate or... Yeah. So are some people just not able to use the uh, prescription prescription strength ones and uh, what do you re- recommend well, that's that's a great question so first of all we have 
receptor sites in our skin for retinoids. We have three different receptor sites. The most common one is called RAR. That's about 90% of them. And so that's one of the reasons why retinoids have such a beneficial effect on the skin. It's not like we're putting something on there the skin doesn't recognize. Um, but the prescription retinoids, um, while they have tremendous benefits, they can take a while to acclimate to. Now, when I ask people typically what the difference is between retinol and a prescription retinol, they go, well, prescription retinoids are so much stronger. Yes and no. Now, back in the day when Dr. Kligman was still alive and he was the inventor of retinoic acid, University of Pennsylvania, he invented it and you know, under the, he went under the prescription name of Retin-A and he licensed it to ortho. He said all through the years, and he did many studies on this, published many studies, that retinol is actually more bioavailable because it depends on what receptor sites you hit and that it would actually work better. So why didn't he patent that? Well, because when you have a conversion and everybody has an enzyme in their skin and you put a retinoid on your skin, uh, retinol on your skin, it converts into retinoic acid. It converts into the actual active. But when you do a conversion, you lose something. So sometimes it's a two to one or a three to one or a five to one. In this case, it's 10 to one. So I would need 10 times as much retinol to equal, let's say, for example, the strongest strength of a prescription retinoid. Now, back then in those days, and to some extent now, when you did 10 times as much, the actual retinol was much more aggressive and much harsher. People couldn't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. So he, he went with in the other direction. Now, what we did in kind of our claim to fame, and I actually, my vice president, Dr. Saxena, my vice president of R&D, who did a lot of projects with Kligman over the years, um, and we're both, you know, pretty prolific retinoid researchers, um, we came up with a way to actually be able to take that 10 times as much to equal the 0.01%, the one-tenth of 1%, and also to equal something like Renova, which is 0.05, five times as much. And in the study, 76% of patients have no acclimation. Hmm. The other 24%, might have slight acclimation. They started every other night, maybe a slight bit of redness or a little bit of flaking. And actually the derm in the study said, I will never again prescribe a prescription retinoid unless a patient begs me for it because this works so much better because we can combine it with peptides and we can combine it with other kinds of things and anti-inflammatories. So we're able, we are able to get something that actually is as efficacious. Wow. And that's probably what I was talking with Rachel, Rachel about. But you yourself, you don't use prescription uh, mm. retinoids? Oh, I actually, I actually, <laughs> I kind of double up on it. Not that that does works any better, but our duality, uh -huh. which is a double chamber because you can't put benzoyl peroxide and a retinoid in the same formula without losing efficacy. Um, that one has, it, it, there's, a, there's a retinoid in one chamber. And then I also use Luminate. Um, and, and Luminate is a product that's, that's mainly uh, focused on discoloration. Now, I don't have discoloration. I use it proactively. But here's the fact. By the age of 35, 
This is a statistic, medical statistic. By the age of 35, every person on the face of the earth, if you've got skin, you're going to have abnormal pigmentation. Mm-hmm. And this is things that are programmed into your skin from years ago, mainly before the age of 10. So I, I do that proactively. So I actually do it twice. And again, when you double up, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a better result. It just happens to be in two different products. Is the duality not for acne? Because my daughter du- uses duality, it for acne. Duality is a unique product because it focuses on acne and aging. Now, you tell me, one adult female, and acne is an epidemic today among women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond. But you tell me one adult woman that's 35 or 40 that has acne, but is, doesn't have some concern about texture or some concern about maybe some fine lines. So usually you have to give up something. You have to say, well, I'm going to use an acne medication and my skin is going to get dry and mm-hmm. it's not going to look very good. Or I'm going to use an anti-aging medication or anti-aging product and maybe my skin's going to look oily or I'm going to break out. So this is something where I literally could take somebody who doesn't have acne. Mm-hmm. I could put them on this product, de-age their skin, the appearance of their skin. But I wouldn't do that. There's other, other ways to do that. But duality is extraordinary in that effect. Now, also, it's, it's a benzoyl peroxide. You know, when you say benzoyl peroxide, what do you get? You people, oh, my God, this teenage medication is going to dry out my skin. This is a very unique benzoyl peroxide. Now, benzoyl peroxide is micronized. But instead of 60 microns, which is what typically it's micronized to, this is down to five microns. It goes in faster. It works faster. It works better. We tested this in Alberta, Canada with Dr. Jaggi Rao, who's board certified in Durham in the U.S. and in Canada. He's head of the Dermatology Residency Program at University of Alberta. 20, over 20 degrees below zero weather. The patients in the study with benzoyl peroxide were more hydrated after the study than before the study. Wow. So it's extraordinary that we can manage acne. There's no cure, Mm -hmm. but we can manage it and get complete total clearing. We don't dry the skin. And we've got the retinoid, which is a gold standard for acne, but for aging. The industry just came out with a new uh, medical product called Epsole? Epsole. Epsole, which is uh, similar to what you're talking about, I think, that helps... um, we were just talking about that on a another episode, but um, how do you think about... yours compares to that, Jan? You know, I I haven't seen and the specific studies because what happens is usually they'll do a study in terms of getting it through the FDA for acne. That doesn't mean that it might not have some nice anti-aging effects, but they're not allowed necessarily to discuss that because they haven't gotten approval from the FDA. So the FDA is very strict, of course, you know, in terms of what you can say and what you can't say. Um, And so whether or not it's losing efficacy in terms of the anti-aging benefits, or it it could be a very good product, but might not have quite the efficacy because they, what they've done is they put them in the same formula and supposedly found a way in which they can be more compatible. Um, so it's hard to say. What I can say is, though, this we routinely take people that are Accutane failures, and, and, and it's not that uncommon to be an Accutane failure because Accutane is not a cure for acne. Individuals that have really um, so serious forms of acne, and we are able to get complete total clearing. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, 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 back up. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that your topical will clear acne better than Accutane and Accutane failure patients? So I'm, I'm a two-time Accutane failure. So the statistics on Accutane is that as much as 50% of the time people fail. Now, what do we mean by fail? They might be very, very clear after the Accutane, but then maybe within a year or two years, the acne comes back and it may come back to the same extent. Then you have the other 50% where their acne improves and it may stay improved, but it may not be completely clear. And, you know, Trina, I'm sure you have worked on individuals that have been on Accutane and maybe their skin isn't real cystic, but you look at it and they still have closed comedonal acne. Mm -hmm. They still break out. So it's not a cure. The idea is that we want to manage it and get complete total clearing. Because with complete total clearing, we don't have post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. We don't have acne scarring. And we're able to, you know, remarkably retexturize the skin, the appearance of, you know, poor size follicles, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You're saying the topicals will actually work better on those patients? and Not not better. There are some forms of acne, acne congoblata, acne fulminans. There are some forms of acne that are exotic and also just some recalcitrant forms of acne where you, you need, at least as a starting point, you need Accutane. Um, I think probably with Accutane, one of the biggest misnomers is that patient goes off of Accutane, they're very clear, and you just let the skin, you know, you just use whatever cleanser and moisturizer, et cetera, where you really at that point, when you've got the follicle, where it's in a sense been realigned, you've addressed certain factors that are going on in acne, is that you really need to start with something within a couple of, of weeks where you're going to continue to keep the cells from sticking together, which is the beginning of the acne process. And you're also going to address the C acne bacteria, at least those two factors. And I found that when individuals do that, that the, the, they're able to maintain when they use good it. products and they continue yeah. their skincare. Yeah, yeah, I agree. After when acne. when patients finish Accutane, Accutane, they think, oh, I'm done. I never have right. to wash yeah, my face exactly. again. I never have to put sunscreen on. And a lot of dermatologists will actually send a prescription home with topical Retin-A once they finish the Accutane treatment mm. because they do need to perpetuate the, the treatment in a lesser form. Right. They don't just stop. Like you, That's like losing weight on a diet and being really strict with yes. your diet. And then when you get yeah. finally to your goal, you just start eating pizza again. You're right. <laughs> Great analogy. Uh-huh. And Retin-A is, is tremendous. It's a, it's, it's, it's a tremendous kind of gold standard for acne. But the, the statistics are that it provides about 43% clearing. Mm-hmm. Now, would, I, would most people like to have 43% fewer acne? Yes. But I, if you ask them, would you like 43% fewer or would you like to not break out at all? Right. Well, and that goes back to cycling because I think that, um, you know, I think that you have to continually use retinol or retin-A, continually use benzoyl peroxide if that's the medicine, you know, or the glycolic, um, whatever you're using, you need to do it continuously. You can't do it once a week or twice a week and in order for right in order for it to have to to make your skin look as good as it can be it just doesn't work that way so i don't think cycling is a good thing to do with with those ingredients and and you know even if we were talking about aging we certainly don't you know aging is the, the underlying cause inflammation and we certainly don't want to create more inflammation 
Now, a little inflammation is good because it stimulates collagen, but we, we, we want to address the issues that typically go along with that. So, you know, people, what do you hear people say all the time? Oh, my pores are getting larger. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I, my, my texture of my skin, it's not, it, it looks thicker, it looks coarser, it's not as bright. Well, you know, there's, there's, if I greatly oversimplify this, and I am greatly oversimplify this, you know, there's two aspects to what we look at in the mirror. One, our stratum corneum. Now it's a dead layer and it's covered with cells, dead cells. They lay like shingles on a roof. That's what they're supposed to do or fish scales, nice, even, cohesive manner. And in between those cells, you've got these moisturizing substances, mucopolysaccharides and ceramides and phospholipids and hyaluronic acid. And they give the skin volume and they give you barrier function and they give the skin, make it look nice and plump and volumized and glowing. Now, as you age, stratum corneum gets thicker starts to pile up. And there's actually a medical term for this because it kind of hardens and it shrinks up a bit and it can feel drier than it is. And it's called increased corneocyte cohesion. Also, you have fewer of these substances. You're losing these substances. So you don't have the same barrier function and you don't, um, your skin doesn't respond, you know, as well and under different conditions. And it just looks duller and it looks coarser. Now, on the other hand, your dermis is 80% collagen. So we want a really nice thin stratum corneum, more like a baby skin, functions well, great barrier. But our dermis, we want it to be as thick and robust as possible. So every single day, besides dealing with my tendency to acne, I want to make sure that I have this nice thin stratum corneum. And I also want a nice thick dermis because, you you know, by the time you can get in your 50s, 60s, 70s, you can lose up to 60, 70% of your dermis. That doesn't look so good. So, and so when, and when it comes to follicles, there's two things. One, if you've got retentive matter in your follicle, it's going to cause it to dilate, looks bigger. So you want to constantly, you're constantly keeping that retentive matter out of there, right? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is your dermis, this 80% collagen, it kind of acts like Spanx around your follicle. It's like a girdle. And so as that collagen tends to lessen, even if your follicles are clear, it's like the spanks give out and it kind of gets flabby. So we want to use substances every day that can thicken the dermis, then and compact the stratum corneum. Now, one thing about retinoids, retinoids, this is a medical fact, thicken the dermis up to twice as much, twice as much. Imagine that. Thins and compacts the stratum corneum. Mm-hmm. Glycolic acid has a lot of huge amount of data thickens the dermis. Thins and compacts the stratum corneum and normalizes the epidermis. Right. So with these acids and retinoids, um, there's people say if you use it too much, it thins the skin. So um, are, are we talking about thinning the epidermis and thickening the dermis? So I have a sarcastic answer. I, I always say it laughingly. Somebody says, well, won't it thin my skin? I say, I hope so. <laughs> because I want a, I, I want them to have a really nice, compact, thin barrier. As long as it's a healthy barrier. Exactly. You can overthin. Exactly. And, and, and irritate. And, and, <laughs> absolutely. And again, we want to avoid inflammation. And then on the other hand, we want this nice, thick, robust dermis. Right. 
So how does retinoids and uh, acids uh, thinning the surface make your dermis thicker? Well, they work in two ways. So it's not so much as thinning the surface makes the dermis thicker. But uh, again, we have receptor sites in our skin for retinoids. And one of the things that retinoids do is number one, they can thicken the dermis up to twice as much. Now, there's another thing that retinoids do. And this also goes into just how your skin functions in general. So when we talk about damage kind of being programmed into your skin, you know, most of it before the age of 10 and at least 50% before the age of 20, it takes 20, 30 years to show up. You know, you, you kind of have to, you intellectualize that and you go, okay, but what does that really mean? Well, your genes are made up of DNA. And some of your genes are expressive genes and they express out information. It's like a blueprint, it's like instructions. And I, again, I'm oversimplifying this, but mm-hmm. it's the only instructions your skin listens to. So if you have something and your body as well, if you have a broken bone, if you have a cold, if you have a sunburn, you're, you're going to get stuck with it unless you can get back to some normalcy. Now, when you're born, it's like these instructions are perfect. It's like a perfect CD. They're crisp, perfect clarity. Everything's being interpreted beautifully. You're growing, you're in an anabolic state, muscles and, and brain cells, and you're getting taller every day. And then you reach 20 and you're kind of fully cooked and you're in more of a catabolic state and you're slowly declining, but you're not really noticing it, but you're declining internally and externally. It's because along the way, you got so many scratches on that CD. It's not being interpreted the same way. And so when you're, um, when your body looks at those instructions, it doesn't repair or come back quite the way it did before. And one of the things And again, this is not just me. This is actual medical fact. Retinoids can correct the instructions coming from your DNA. Now, it may not take you, so I can take you back to the age of 15, but I could take two twin girls, identical DNA, put them on the same skincare program, put one on a retinoid, one not. And in 10 years, one can look 10 or 15 years younger than the other. So I hear that a lot, like that retinol or retin-A Tazrak, all those retinoids, um, you hear this word come out of everybody's mouth that it builds collagen. How does it do that? It, it, by thickening the dermis and also, in, in a sense, if you are reversing some of the damage that's programmed to the skin and your skin, and, and, and it's much more complex than this, but your skin functions like it did when it was much younger. So your skin, when you were much younger, it made collagen. It made a lot more collagen. At the age of 20, what happens is you start losing about 2% collagen a year. Now, if you've had a lot of sun exposure in your past, you may lose it faster. If you've got sun exposure, even incidental sun exposure, you're not well protected. Uh, Maybe you're a sunbather. Diet can play a role. Um, Things like the glycemic load in terms of sugar and things like that. Lifestyle, it can play a role. You can lose collagen faster. So what you're doing is you're, one of the things that's happening is your skin is functioning in a way that it did when it was younger. So uh, uh, Trina, yeah, let's say you've got um, a client and they have a swimming pool in their backyard. And from the time they were two years old, they're out in the swimming pool and mom doesn't put a sun's block on them. And so when they're, you know, 14 years old, they come in to see you. Have you ever heard anybody say, 
oh, Trina, you got to fix my skin. I'm all covered with brown spots and I've got wrinkles. Not at 14, but. No, but, and they're making, <laughs> right. And they're making collagen steel. They're doing, but when they hit, what happens is when that damage catches up with them, when they're in their 20s or 30s or, or beyond, what happens is that that the, that inability to repair, they're not producing the same amount of collagen. Right. Not repairing the same way. So in a sense, it allows you to repair and to begin to function in a way that you did when you were much younger. Now, it's a lot more complex than that. And you guys, I don't and think- And I also think there's a lot more layers to it than that. Retinol being one, or retin, yes. Retin-A being one ingredient that definitely helps with that process, along with antioxidants and uh, AHAs, um, moisturizer, growth factors, uh, there's peptides, so many things that when you finally, you know, there's things you can do to be preventative at a young age, and retinol is one of them. Uh, young age, meaning, you know, you could start in your late 20s, I think. I don't know if I'd start somebody before that, but like. Oh, yeah, because teenagers use retinoids for acne. You for acne. Yeah. That's yeah. true. And, and, and keep in mind, all that damage is programming your skin. You know, I look at aging as this, this 25,000 piece puzzle. Mm-hmm. And maybe we've gotten one little corner of it addressed. But when you look at it, you're absolutely right. It's, it's retinoids. They all, all these things have similarities in terms of how they work, but they also have different kinds of things. And we barely scratch the surface. You know, some of the things, for example, um, I, you guys have heard of, you've heard of metformin. Mm-hmm. Metformin mm-hmm. is for type 2 diabetes, and it was approved in 1972, but it. it actually has been around. It was discovered back in 19, I think, 22. Now, um, she's about to expose one of the things my that secret. You know with metformin is that it releases tiny little amounts of free radicals. Now, we always say free radicals are bad, but it releases a tiny little amount of free radicals into cells. And what it does is it turns on certain sirtuins, which are anti aging genes. Now, it does a lot of other things. We know that it's protective against heart disease and Alzheimer's and certain cancers and, and that people who are on metformin, even if they're not healthy, they have diabetes, that they live an average, they can live an average of four years longer than the rest of us. I, I'm on it for that reason, for anti-aging. <laughs> okay, well, now did you know there are studies, there are quite a few studies out there now where if you put metformin on topically. What? Yes, topically. I didn't even know it came topically. Well, you have to you go to a compounding pharmacist, but don't worry, I'm working on something. So anyway. Okay. But <laughs> of course you are. Just <laughs> wait. Just wait for Jan. Topically, that it has a global effect on aging, whether it's discoloration, whether it's fine lines, it's texture. Now, so again, what is it doing? Is it turning on, because we have receptor sets on every cell, is it turning on sirtuins in such a way so some of these things, we don't even understand exactly how they work. Another example. But also metformin's been FDA approved to be the first anti-aging drug, right? It, it has not been approved. I now, thought it was my approved. Understanding, no, it's going through the FDA. It's very hard to get something approved for aging because what do you do? Your clinical trial, is it going to run 100 years? I thought the clinical for, trials. Wait, 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 gain. 
I was told by my doctor. Fee? No. Fee. Yeah. It hasn't been approved for that. It has this, there are studies on metformin that are some very good studies. In fact, one done on 14,000 men um, in which they were able to demonstrate these, these kinds of attributes, but it has not been approved for that. Doc, you know, you can be prescribed for anything, but, you know, give you another example in terms of this whole anti-aging paradigm is that uh, there's studies that have been done in which if somebody takes reframicin, which is a drug for tuberculosis, very tiny amounts, like maybe as small as 0.5 milligrams, they combine that with rapamycin and very, again, very tiny amounts. And this is all experimental. Uh-huh. And metformin, those three together in roundworms. And a lot of these studies, that's where they start. I mean, metformin, anything else, they start on you know, non-human studies, but they extend life by 86%. Let's, should we go back to some skincare myths? Because these are all great, but we don't want anybody running out asking for, you know, no. metformin. You, and, and I, I don't even recommend doing that. Uh-huh. I'm not doing, I don't recommend, you know, uh-huh. metformin is one thing, but it's just, it's the point to your point is that this whole anti-aging mm-hmm. issue is so complex. Yes. So complex. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, can you use retinoids on rosacea? You, what is what do you think, Doctor Vicky? Do you recommend that? I think re- I ideally I like retinoids for almost anybody, but some people with rosacea just can't handle it. But in the other episode, we talked about um, some of the newer ways that rosacea patients can even handle benzoyl peroxide. So. If you do a sandwich, I like the retinoid sandwich, so moisturizer, then the retinol, probably not prescription retin-A, then moisturizer again, like sandwich the retinoid in between the moisturizer. I think a rosacea patient could do a trial, and if they do well, they should stay on it. If they don't, they shouldn't use it. And if they do well, can they go up to a prescription strength? Yes, yes. I usually start people on a retinol, if they do well and they want to quote unquote do better, do more, I'll add an antioxidant, and then if they still do well, I'll add a prescription retin A, low strength. Mm-hmm. What about for actinic keratosis? How does the uh, prescription retinoids affect that? It's a that's a really good question. We don't the knee jerk reaction to treating actinic keratosis is not a retinol or a retinoid, but yes, it peels off the top dead layer. So theoretically, it could peel off some of the AK. It doesn't typically go down to the very bottom of the problem where the AK is, so it can make them look better, but it doesn't uh, It doesn't resolve actinic keratosis completely. Got it. It's more, more preventative. I think once you have actinic keratosis, you know, it's, it's, you've got to treat it with fluorouracil or, you know, something that's uh, some topical chemo or but something right. like that. No, preventative is, a, yeah. is right because, you know, retinol does two things, right? It takes the top dead layer off, so it increases the cell turnover and it stimulates collagen. And the answer to your question, Trina, from earlier is there's a receptor on the collagen molecule that basically is stimulated by retin-A. So that's how it thickens the dermis. Mm. It literally builds collagen and sloughs the top dead layer on the epidermis. But by sloughing, you could theoretically be sloughing all the damage and not get these precancerous lesions. 
from for actinic keratosis yeah. we're speaking for actinic keratosis i have a question this is rebecca there's a receptor on the collagen and not on the cell the fibroblast that makes the collagen fibroblasts that make the collagen okay got it right got it thanks yeah it's easier for the the listener to hear collagen right yeah. but the fibroblasts <laughs> are everything right i mean the yeah. fibroblasts are the growth factor cells that stimulate right. elastin and collagen and all the other peptides yeah yeah and, and and addressing the cell which creates the skin i think makes a lot of sense yeah well, have you all heard of a, it's a fairly new retinoid, but it's getting a lot more press right now, and that's Acleaf Tafaratine. No. Yeah, a very mild retinoid. I mean, it's tolerable for patients mm -hmm. who can't tolerate a retinoid, but even still, patients in my hands can't sometimes can't handle a cleaf. It's just another RX uh, retin-A. Mm. Yes, version and, but what's interesting about it is that it hits the receptor site that is the most prolific, which is the one that's about 90% of the receptor sites, which is the RAR. And um, I've been kind of doing a little work with it and it's not, they, they don't give you any information as to whether or not it would be good for aging. Um, they do say that it's been absorbed, that skin texture improves, but I'm noticing, uh, and it's again, it has, cause it hasn't been approved for that. Um, but I'm noticing some really, uh, very dramatic, I think, improvements um, in individuals with regard to the aging aspect of it. You're saying on on friends or clients or who have you been seeing that in? Yeah, just, yeah, individuals that I've kind of pointed as, as guinea pigs, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> mm. We prescribe uh, it for so comorbid acne. And so some Pardon? people, oh, we prescribe it for comodal acne. And so uh -huh. some of the patients do great on it and they're clear. And in other people, it doesn't touch their comodones. It's just some people's comodones are like concrete mm -hmm. and like yes. nothing but Trina's extractions would, would help them. <laughs> oh, Not even a cleave or Tazerac. It, ta it takes an 18-gauge needle to get in there. <laughs> right. What's the difference right. between Tazerac and the tretinoin? They're all retinoids. So tretinoin mm -hmm. is a retinoid. Tazeratine is a retinoid. This it's just a stronger place, one. It's yeah. The retinoid is, is a family is of medication. Tazerac is very strong. It was originally approved for psoriasis, and then it was uh -huh. approved for acne, and it was approved for aging. And um, and it, it by some accounts, it may have the most dramatic effect on aging of all the retinoids. But it was one of those things like, how do you know? Because you can't tolerate it. <laughs> but, um, do you use it, Jan? Yeah. Pardon? Do you use it? I have used it before uh -huh. in the past. I've, I've played around with it. And, and um, it, you know, you, you can acclimate to it. But I can't, I can't say that I necessarily, I, I think, I do think that it has a, a really nice effect on texture. And one of the things that I think was, um, especially interesting about it is that it balance it seems to balance oil better than almost anything. Oh, I've seen. It's well, like the strongest one that we used at the dermatologist's mm -hmm. office for people with acne. Well, and I would say back to that cycling concept, which I know is very hip right now. I laugh because it's just like, you know, as dermatologists, we explain to people 
use your Retin-A one, one time a week and then build up to two times a week and three times a week, quote unquote, we're telling them to cycle. I tell my patients to cycle between Retin-A and Tazerac. So once they've maximized their Retin-A strength, which is a 0.1%, and they can handle it every night and they're like, it's not doing anything anymore, I'll switch them to Tazerac. And Come then on, Trina, they let's go try through. it. Hell I can't no. get Trina on board to do it with me. <laughs> I just, I, I like good old retinol. I know. It's the standard. It That's just great. works and works and works. I'm do- but I you just only, keep challenging you myself. You only cycle people on things like when you're building them up to something. So like if you're building someone up to Retin-A, you have to start them on once a week and then once every two uh, two times a week and then three times a week until you build their skin up. And if, you're, if I'm introducing someone that I have on glycolic uh, and then I want to introduce retinol, I will have them do it every other night for a couple of weeks, and then I have them layer it. So there is it in that way cycling it in, but not off. On right. Off. So but also on. cycling is when there's so many things you want your patients to use. You want them to use You're introducing. The, the retinol. You want them to use a growth factor, a peptide, an antioxidant. And there really isn't a product that has them all in there where they're all stable. So you cycle those products around. And every doctor or esthetician has a different way of doing it. Yeah. Because you want them to use all these, these categories of ingredients. Right. So basically what we're saying is this is a new term for an old practice of slowly introducing a new product into your routine. It's nothing different than what we've done forever. And I think it's kind of typical of new terms coming into play for old things and then bringing back that old practice in a new way, like slugging, right. you know, which, which we've talked about, or uh, what Jan's about to talk about with the taping. Um, I talked about taping 30 years ago. So <laughs> I, I think new. if I could only imagine you're talking about people taking actual tape and taping up oh. their wrinkles. No? Okay. So we have kind of like we have two types of lines and wrinkles. So one is where we look in the mirror and we might see crepey texture and we see fine lines and that's mostly sun exposure. And then the other one is something we call dynamic muscle movement. So if you lived in a cave and you never had sun exposure, but you made expressions, you know, you do this and you squint and you smile and you laugh. So those are where we get like parenthesis lines and forehead lines and so-called crow's feet. And there's other areas that are affected, but the main ones, those areas. And so that's where Botox comes in. And believe me, I, I don't, I, I'm not here to sell Botox. That's a, that's a personal issue. But what Botox does is it, it sort of um, disables temporarily certain muscles that are overworking. And when these muscles overwork, it's like there's a line in the muscle. It's like a crease and you put the skin over it and you see the line. And so when you disable that muscle and you're not disabling all the muscles, that line, then it goes away temporarily. Um, And so the idea with taping is that if you can immobilize your face at night, then somehow it's going to lessen the appearance of lines and wrinkles. But your face is immobilized at night. When you sleep, you don't make muscles. You actually, you do. Your face does 
move around and your face does make expressions. And what happens is when you tape the skin is that your face actually fights against that. And you will end up with more lines and wrinkles because there's certain things that normally you're supposed to do at night. Not only that, but there've been cases of permanent scarring when people remove the tape. I don't know what they're using. I don't know if they're using electrical oh tape or something. I have no idea. <laughs> electrical but, you know, red tape. Inflammation. Jesus. Also, tape. if you have acne and you're taping, you can exacerbate the acne because you're occluding it, et cetera. And it just goes on and on. It's huh. not a good thing to do. I mean, do. my friend's uh, aunt used to tape her face. And my I grandmother would come did. Over, yeah. I would come over and she'd have tape across her forehead. And then she started going, forgetting to take it off. And she started going out and <gasps> oh she'd my God. powder over Hilarious. it and forget it's there. Oh and okay, we would so die laughing. That is literally the craziest thing. But... I have my, you know, two cents on the taping thing. And I agree with Jan. It's interesting how, you know, Botox works on these dynamic wrinkles that she's talking about. So the dynamic wrinkles are the muscles that move when we make a motion. Botox relaxes those muscles. I actually do tell people who refuse to do or don't want to do Botox, but they want those lines gone. I say, when you're at home on your computer or on your phone, (laughs) put a piece of scotch tape on there and see how many times Mm -hmm. you actually move that muscle. And you can try and train yourself to not move that muscle. So I'm, I'm not in a disagreement to taping as long as it's scotch tape because it's really light. But I think the chest taping works beautifully. Like the they're called well, these are I called ha- frownies. I ha- I was these are ask. called chesties. I have, I have seen yeah, patients. Yeah. Yeah, the frownies I think are okay. And the, and the but the chesties work the, well because there's nothing we can do for the chest wrinkles. And sleep, I have seen many patients who put the, yes, yeah, sleep on your I back, but they one. use it and their wrinkles are gone. And also Trina, of course we move in the middle of the night. What about grinding? What about TMJ? People frown <laughs> all true. night long. So I'm I'm not right. saying they should tape their face at night, but we definitely move at night. And unless you really have Botox, you're probably moving what at night. What about those oh. little wings people put under the their eyes those 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 i i well, they um, have little brownies for here and here but you know the other thing you mentioned about um julie about silicone mm-hmm. now there's a study that was done and there are many different types of silicone and silicone by the way is another one that's getting a bad rap that somehow it's gonna you know oh i know isn't it awful and, it, it, and, and you know it's like it's like the ingredient of the month they're gonna pick on mm-hmm. but silicone um they've done studies where they did a silicone mask on the, that chest and dec, that decollete area, and it really did have an effect on lines and wrinkles. And you know, silicone is one of the few things that we have ever found that when it's used on, like after a, a surgical incision or wound healing, um, keloided scars that can actually help to flatten or help them to heal faster because it, it, it appears to downregulate a type of scarring collagen. And so silicone is an incredible ingredient. Now there can be other ingredients in a so-called silicone product that could be comedogenic. Mm-hmm. But not the silicone. Cause, you know, yeah, the silicone isn't. But, silicone. Silicone. but silicone please is just silicone. don't inject it. That would be the stupidest thing. I am not a fan of silicone it, yes. injections. Topical silicone no. for scars, amazing. The other thing yes. uh, I learned a long time ago from Trina and she somehow does it, is sleep on your back. <laughs> she doesn't, 
all these years. She said, I don't move. I don't sleep on my side or my face. <laughs> I snore, but I sleep I on my back. I get in my bed every night. I think of Trina. I'm going to sleep on my back. I last about 10 minutes. It oh, took yeah. me hundreds of dollars in pillows to figure out the right concoction <laughs> to make sure I don't turn. I sleep top. part of the time yes. on my back. Sometimes I'm on my left side. But you know what I do is... And, and this is just something I've trained myself to do. And it doesn't matter when I wake up, if in the middle of the night, I'm, I, the pillow is back here. Oh, good. I'm kind of hanging <laughs> off of it. Good. That's and how I sleep. The face That's how I sleep. The pillow. Can, yes, you can get, you can get, you can get sleep lines. I have a silk yeah. one. I sleep on silk. If I also sleep on silk on mm-hmm. the back of my head. <laughs> so just slide right I'm gonna, off. I'm, I'm going to just say one thing, and that is, you know, you, we can talk about all these so-called anti-aging things, and we can talk about growth factors, and, um, and you know, I've done so much research into all of this, but the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is that while you can reverse some of this damage, you've got to prevent it. Yeah. And yeah. that means that you you need to wear sunscreen. You know, I have to, and, and that's another one that constantly gets a bad rap of sunscreen because you you when you know you have people say well i don't somehow i think it hurts the environment or you can get cancer from wearing sunscreen you know i when i spoke to the british association of medicine a number of years ago and we were going through another sort of sunscreen myth thing and a dermapathologist stood up to make a comment instead of all of the biopsies i've done and all of you know the patients I've had that have died of malignant melanoma or had their faces carved up with squamous cell or basal cell carcinoma. He says, "You know what? I've never had a patient die of sunscreen." And when you think about it in those terms, and you think about all the things that can happen to your skin, and all the things that can happen to to you know the surgical procedures and removing and all the you know and, and including losing your life when you think about that you put it into perspective no one has died of sunscreen now is it perfect no it's great no jan but you're singing really my song prevention. right now because yeah. that's how i usually end all these topics of conversation is just mm-hmm. prevent it stop getting sun wear a hat wear a shirt wear long sleeves wear sunscreen what is happening to these people who don't wear it <laughs> So thank now, you. I, I, pro- I, I take it to kind of a different level. And I have to so I have to tell you guys. So my husband and I, we go out Saturday and Sunday. We always take a nice long walk. And I go to a site called Cooley Bar that makes SPF 50 things to cover you up. And I wear a mask that starts here. <laughs> and it goes down. And it covers my chest and my back. And I put my sunglasses on and my hat. So literally, you you. Would never. That is a whole other I am. I'm wearing law. I'm wearing gloves at SPF 50. I'm completely covered up. Yep. <laughs> sound like yep. You sound like a dermatologist. Or you, or you just yep. walk after dark. <laughs> Might be easier. <laughs> <laughs> Evening walks. But you know, it really because I and I so I never worry about it. I you know I go out and I walk and I do all these things and so what? People look at me. What they usually think is they think they you know, I can tell that they want to say something like, hey, you don't have to wear a mask any longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's not against the law. Best thing yeah. that ever happened to us. Yeah. All right. We're going to wrap this up. It was so lovely having you, and I hope that we can have you again in the future. Oh, thank you. And Jen, this is Rebecca. Please give your lovely husband a big hug for me. He's adorable, and I, I've always liked him. Oh, thank you. Well, he's actually 
with me today. He's sitting over in his oh, office. Yes. Oh. I will definitely tell him that he'll love to hear you. And we were just talking about you last night, Rebecca, and kind of reminiscing and remembering yeah. back to all the times we'd see you at every conference. I know. It was it was those days now. I know. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much, Jan. Lovely hey, to have you. What a treat you. to you. talk to you. Such a pleasure. And I do hope we get to do this again. I yeah. Do Okay. All right, thanks. And I, I don't know your husband, but you can give him a hug from me. <laughs> from all of us. Give him a hug from all of us. He'll love Thank it. You. Bye. Thank you, Jan. Bye. Take care. Bye, Jan. Uh, Thank you. Bye. Uh -huh. Bye. That was so nice to talk yeah, to Jan. It was. She it's and great. I used to talk all the time when we would go to trade shows. And now trade shows just aren't a thing for the professional oh, industry. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, but. well, even before COVID, it seemed like, I don't know, you know, there was, it was, it was changing. Yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. with COVID, that kind of blew everything up. Yeah. Pharmaceutical industry is taking over skincare now, it seems. Yep. Okay. Jan, thank you so All right. Take care. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye, bye Jan. Thank you. This podcast is so needed in the world right now. There's so much information out there that it's hard to know who to believe and if it's right for you. We are very excited to be your guides and bring you Facially Conscious. You can find info we talked about today in our show notes and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Please subscribe, like, and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps others find us. And if you have any questions or ideas, please send us an email at infofaciallyconscious.com. At